Good evening. There we go. My name is Duke Bendix. I'm on the staff here at Grace Covenant as well. It's good to uh, be with you all. And I, we've got to appreciate our worship team, right? Because what we're what the, what what we were singing about is kind of what I hope we I hope we can get into and develop a little bit. We are going to continue talking about change, the power of change and the power to change. We've been talking about this now for some while. And uh, what I want to just, I want to continue to develop this. I don't know how much longer Pastor Jim is going to stay on this topic, but I hope by now one of the things that you're beginning to understand is that change is the way of life for a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, And the the problem is, is that sometimes that's a problem. Uh, Kathy and I were talking and she said something that I, I appreciated. Uh, it was kind of an interesting thought. Some years ago, I heard Bob Mumford say that truth is at, at its first appearing, and you may have heard me say this, truth at its first appearing almost always seems negative. Truth has a corrective quality to it. And, and, and as a result, uh, it's very natural for us to avoid the truth. We don't want to hear the truth. We don't want to look at the truth. We don't want to consider the truth. So we run and hide. But the truth is, is she, the point she was making is change is a little bit like the truth. We don't like change most of the time. That most of the time when change is, is something that we're faced with, we oftentimes kind of draw back from it. It may be regarded as something negative. And of course, that isn't the case in all, in all cases at all. Uh, truth is that way as well. I was thinking about... Uh, one of the things that I know has been that I think most of us who have experienced marriage or who are entering into marriage, we look forward and we anticipate the change that marriage is going to bring. Like parenting, we have no idea what that change will be, but it seems like a good thing to enter into. And so we look forward to it. Interestingly enough, marriage is part of the God's design, the truth of how God intends for things to work. And how he's ordered things. It's interesting to me that marriage, the the relationship uh, between a man and a woman that brings procreation and and creates family is an institution that is guarded, respected, and valued all over the world in every culture. It's something written into the nature of things. It's truth. Now, once we anticipate the change of marriage and we embrace the value of the truth of marriage and we get married, then things become a little different. I was thinking of my own, uh, one of my, this is going to be a journey back through time for some of you who may not uh, be familiar with some of these antiquities that I'm going to talk about here in a moment. (laughs) There was a time when the only time you could watch certain uh, some movies or the time you could sit down and just watch a movie was at what they called the late show. It was right before TV went off the air and before generally cable came in. You could have at that time the option of going down to the, to the uh, video store and getting a VHS. <laughs> Big block of a thing that you'd put in. But for most of, most of the time, if you were going to watch a movie, you, at least for me, I enjoyed watching The Late Show on Friday night. I didn't have anything to get up for. And uh, before, married, before marriage, I watched 
you know, the late movie, whatever I wanted to. In fact, while we were recording, watching the late show on Friday night was something we used to hang out and do, have popcorn and enjoy it. And then we got married. It was, it was sweet. Well, you can awe, you can awe and hum all you want, but here's what happened. Here's the truth. My wife said, hey, hon, um, you know, I, I, I just, I, when I go to bed, I'd like for you to come to bed with me, not for anything necessarily intimate, just because we're companions now. You go to bed and you go to sleep and you, you, you enjoy the fact that you're doing it together. It's the Friday Night Late Show. So one night I'm laying on my couch, the couch in the family room, and my wife goes up to bed, and I'm laying there being confronted with the truth about myself. So here we had something that I looked forward to getting into and now was requiring change of me. And I was being faced with the truth that I needed to enter into some change. In John, the eighth chapter, Jesus is speaking to some, and this is so fascinating. They're described as people who had believed in him, who had come to a faith in Jesus to some degree. And this was his words to them. He said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, clearly, truth and change are bound together. Truth initiates and provokes change. That's what was going on with me in the late show. The truth was provoking me that I needed to change for the sake of something higher than how I had been living. For the sake of my marriage relationship. Was it a a life and death issue? Hardly. But unfortunately, you accumulate enough of those kinds of things over time and they do begin to have a real effect. Because marriage is custom made by God, a truth institution aimed at confronting our selfishness. And this is the nature of truth itself. This is what Jesus was saying to these people who had come to believe in him. Truth sheds light on things. It exposes them and holds up the way God intends for them to be. This is the nature of truth. He doesn't intend for us to be selfish people. And and I appreciated the last worship song because this is what we're going to kind of burrow down into a little bit is what does it look like? What is required for things to begin to break off of my life and for me to begin to enter into the kinds of change that the things that used to be normal, used to be uh, maybe a, a bondage to me or used to be an affliction to me are actually now embraced by me because they do something, they bring change into my life. We're not there yet. Okay. <laughs> and after, see, see, this is the whole thing. We're used to a gospel, a message of, of, of Christ sometimes that is more comfort than challenge, more comfort than confrontation. We want the comfort of Christ, but Christ came. What did he say? He says, I didn't come to make peace. He says, I'm going to set people against one another. I'm going, to set, I'm going to set you against yourself by confronting you with the truth at certain points. In this case, referring to John chapter 8, 
uh, freedom, a change of condition from the slavery to sin that Jesus was addressing in these Pharisees and these leaders and these people who said they'd come to believe in him. Freedom is the result of knowing truth and responding to it. We can't be free unless we know where we are bound and what needs to be done to become free. We need a, we need a truth that exposes where we're at and at the same time shows us where we need to go to come into what God has for us. Now, what I'm talking about here tonight is to be the bread and butter of what it is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. This, folks, is how we get beyond where we are. This is how we become the people that God is glorified and manifested through. We need truth that exposes and directs us, exposes where we're at and directs us where to go, that confronts with conviction and reveals the way into transformation. Jesus prayed in John in the 17th chapter. Here's how he prayed for us. He was praying for his disciples. This is the high priestly prayer of our Lord. And he prayed in this way. He said, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Now what Jesus was saying here was, has far less to do with the devil and the enemy than it has to do with us being a people who are distinctive and who are shaped by the Christ that we are committed to following. See, he's saying here, first of all, he says we're not going to, re- we, he, we are going, excuse me, we are going to remain in the world. We are going to be in the world until the appointed day when it's time for you to leave the world, and God alone knows what that appointed day and time is. We are not to be a people awaiting some great rapture, some great deliverance that we just all together get out of here and leave the world to go to wherever the world is going, and we're happy where we're going. That is is not what the gospel is about. Jesus is saying here... Father, let them remain in the world because as they change, they become agents of change. The change you and I come into is the basis and the well from which we draw and are able to bring change and influence into the world that we live in. This is what we signed up for. This is what we, this is what we became when we came to the, to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Second, Jesus says here, we are not of the world. They're not of the world. You and I are not of the world. But he says, sanctify them in the truth. So what he's saying is, we're not this, which means that we necessarily need to become this. We're no longer this of the world, but we're going to become this that is set apart in truth. John says in the first letter of John that the world system, and I, this is just some thoughts I've, I've put down here just to give us a quick summary, but the world system is fueled by the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. These things are not from the Father, but from the world. That's we We're not of this. 
This is what Jesus is saying we're no longer of. To be of the world means to be defined by its structure, its direction, its power, its influence. The world controls, but it controls because the world is the natural desire and orientation of our fallen nature, the flesh. Because our natural orientation is away from God. Now, I'm talking about before we know Christ, how many of you, how many of you were neutral about God before you knew Jesus Christ? None of us were. We were opposed to him. We didn't like the idea of anybody telling us what to do. And so the thing that we, that we find that the very nature of the world is that it, it, it's opposed to what God is and to who he is. I'm going on here in, my, in some of the things that I wrote down. He said, because our natural orientation is away from God and toward our own understanding, our own benefit, our own will, the world is the visible, tangible sphere in which our flesh is simultaneously gratified and made desirous of more. We were watching Lion, the Witch, and Wardrobe the other night. A good picture of what the world does is Turkish delight. The more you eat, the more you want. You eat till you're full, but then you want more. This is the world. This, when Jesus says they're not of the world, that means that this is not what is to define us anymore. This isn't what is to shape us. This isn't what is to motivate us and direct us. Now, I say this. I know you may be thinking, well, pastor, of course it's not. We live in a culture where the world has become what the world does and what it's oriented to is not, uh, in, in some respects, there's nothing particularly wrong with it. It just draws us into a comfort zone of entertainment of pleasure, that, and I'm not talking about you know, sinful wrong things. I'm talking about the allure of something that we have cultivated a habit for for all of our life until we meet Jesus Christ. And Jesus is saying, he was saying that to these fishermen. They were only two or three years walking with him. And he said, they're not of the world now, Father. Sanctify them in the truth. Set them apart. Sanctify means to consecrate. Consecrate them in the truth. He's praying this for us as well. Set them apart onto the truth. We are no longer of the world because we have been sanctified in the truth. We have been set apart to the truth. Now, don't go to sleep on me here. I'm going somewhere with this and we'll get a little, we'll get, I'm trying to set, I'm setting this thing up because I want us to understand that we have, we are, we ain't from around there anymore. You know, we're, we're, and I'll show you, we're really going to get that in a minute. We're not from there anymore. And the things we were singing about tonight we, we only have a power to call on the name of Jesus and expect something to bow when we ourselves are no longer entangled in that anymore. But it's really hard to be entangled in that. And here's the, here's the subtle thing. To be oriented to this and really kind of expect that faith in Jesus Christ is going to sustain that unchanged reality.
We are sanctified in the truth. We are set apart, consecrated unto the truth. We got to come to love the truth. We got to come to speak the truth to ourselves. We've got to come to hear the truth and look for the truth, not just the truth we want, but all the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And let it speak into our hearts. I used to tell her that one of my favorite scriptures, John 3, it says that those who practice the truth come into the light to see that the works that they work are worked of God. The light is our friend, folks. We can't know what we need to get beyond unless the light shines in our life. And this is what Jesus was praying the Father would do with us. Set them apart in the truth. Consecrate them in the truth. For our part, if we're going to abide in that and remain in that, then we've got to come to have a love for the truth ourselves. The truth, and I think, I don't know if this is on there or not, up on the screen or not, but the truth as brought home to our lives by the spirit of truth, and that, by the way, is another name for the Holy Spirit. The truth as brought home to our lives by the spirit of truth is the key the operative reality that brings us out of the grip of the world and creates in us a desire to follow Jesus, to change, to become like him. See, see, this is the thing that I just want to encourage in us. Do we have a desire to follow Jesus Christ? I don't know what brought you to Christ in the first place. But my hope is that somewhere along all of this that you're hearing here, somewhere in what you hear imparted from Pastor Brett on Sunday morning, imparted from Pastor Donnell, imparted through Pastor Jim and others who minister on this stage and in, in other settings, is that there's something to be fostered in us of a longing for more of Jesus Christ. Not just a longing to feel loved by him. Contemporary Christian music drives me crazy. Because it's all about me and how much God loves me and how much I'm loved. And all of that is true, but the, the aim of it is to foster in us something that says, Jesus, I am yours. Where you are going, I want to follow. Where you are leading, I'm right behind you because I want to learn to do it like you do it. I want to learn to live like you live. I want to learn how to be the kind of person you are, only I want that person living in me and being me. And this has to be something, this has to be a passion we kindle, we cultivate, we remind one another of. Start in my notes. Okay, three points that I want us to take away this evening. First of all, change proceeds from the truth of what God has done. Change proceeds from the truth of what God has done. The power to change, the power to bring about change is inherent in God's truth. What he has done produces the results he intends. Now, I'm taking a ton of responsibility off of us here. We are not the agents of change in our own life. It's the truth of what God has done, the truth of who he is that produces the change that needs to be brought about in our individual lives. The power to change is inherent in God's truth. Uh, Pastor Jim has talked about the debar, the word of God is having a power within it that is able to produce what it's spoken to accomplish. 
That's why Jesus is continually talking about the sower and the seed. Within the seed are all the mechanisms to bring forth life. The soil doesn't make it happen. The rain doesn't make it happen. Those all, those all enhance the process, but the life is inherent in the seed. So what we're talking about here is in the truth is the, is the, is the ability, is the, is the power, is the dynamic for producing change. The point is it's not up to us to bring radical transforming change to ourselves. Let me give you an example. Colossians 1, verses 12 through 14, if you want to write it down. Paul writes this, Give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us or translated us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's great. Let's, let's look, at, look at what this word is saying. First of all, all this is in the past tense. If, if you tell me something and put it in the past tense, what do I know? You've already done it. It's history. It's past. Something established back there. And listen to what God says is established. First of all... <clears throat> He's qualified us to share in the inheritance. He's given, us a, he's given us a portion, if you will. He's qualified us to become shareholders with all the saints throughout history. Uh, saints, by the way, means sanctified ones. All those other ones who are set apart to the truth, he has qualified to share in an inheritance of light. Now, I don't know what all of that means, but one of the things that I'm sure it means is that we all have an inheritance to share in the riches of the glory of Jesus Christ. And that inheritance is not something that we anticipate as when heaven when we die, but it's something that we are to be partakers of, that we are to be looking for, that we are to be having an expectation for and learning about now because we're already qualified. We're not looking to become qualified. There's something God has already made us shareholders in. But then he goes on. This is where it really gets good. It says that, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He's delivered us from this world that I was talking about a moment ago. He's pulled us out, this word deliver, he's pulled us out of danger. He's rescued us. We're no longer under the defining rule or the dictation of the domain of darkness, the world and the prince of the air. We're not under that anymore. But here's what that word of deliverance is describing. It's describing what we came into, what we stepped into when we came into faith in Jesus Christ, when we were born again. And that reality was spoken of in the book of Ezekiel when the prophet said, not in the past tense, but in the future tense, here's what God said he would do, is he said, I will first of all sprinkle pure water on you and cleanse you from your uncleannesses and your idols. I'll wash away the toxicity that you've lived in, that you've bathed in, that you've immersed yourself in, the things you've come to think are normal but really are abnormal. I am going to wash that away. I'm going to wash away the uncleannesses. I'm going to wash away your idols. But then he says, 
And I'm going to take from you the heart of stone. A heart that's belligerent in its resistance, in its insolence, in its demand that it be done my way or not done at all. That heart of stone that resists, that refuses. The heart of stone that would cause a man, if you can believe this, to lay on his couch and watch a late show in spite of the fact that he was being convicted to do otherwise. The heart of stone being taken away. And he says, in its place, I'll give you a heart of flesh. I'll give you something that is pliable, that is able to respond, that has the warmth of life, that is able to experience both and express affection and and the genuine care and, and love that God has for us, and he wants that expressed through us. This is what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. But it doesn't stop there. He says, what's more, I will give you a new spirit. And I will give you my spirit. So that now we, in being born again, we have been made alive at the very core of our being. And in that core place, we have the opportunity, the privilege, and the need to commune intimately with the Holy Spirit. When Paul writes that we have been delivered from the domain of darkness, this is what he's talking about. We've been delivered, but it's not just that we've been plucked up and we're over here now, but we have actually been, something has been deeply changed in us by being drawn out of the domain of darkness. We're not of the world anymore. Something radical, something true has been done in us that makes us now different people, that gives us opportunity to relate differently. And then he goes on to say, and he has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. That word transfer, kind of in the, in the original language, has something of a, of a negative con- connotation. It's the Greek word metastasize. As when cancer moves from one part to another part. And all it's describing there is a change of location. We have been changed in our location. The word, the word is used in science to speak of the sudden change of a particle. They don't orbit anymore. That's old physics. But they're in the cloud around a particular. When that particle suddenly is changed to another. It now has a new and different center. A different center. We have been given, we have been brought into a place where what we used to orbit around, we're now orbiting around something else. In in the study, in rhetoric, in in the study of of how to be, in the art of speaking and making a case for something, the word is used to speak of a sudden change of direction in the conversation. The conversation of our life has moved from this to something entirely new. And the question we have to ask ourselves, is the conversation of my life been changed? Or am I still talking about the same things I used to talk about? I'm not here again. Don't, don't read. Don't say, well, of course I don't cuss. Well, good for you. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the focus of your conversation. I'm talking about what gives rise to your conversation. I'm talking about what inspires conversation. And and this is the word of we have been transferred. We have been brought into another place 
of standing. Transferred, we have been made to stand with Christ in his kingdom. We're relocated. We have been repositioned. The power of change is God's power. It's God's responsibility. It's what God has set out to do. It's what he's done great things to to accomplish. But the, the power of change is God's start to finish. And it's set forth in the truth of what he has done. This is the truth. We've been sanctified. We have been set apart into this truth. Now, I review these things with you tonight For some of you, maybe it's the first time you've heard the passage out of Ezekiel 36. But it it waters something down inside of us. It waters something down inside of us. and, And these are the realities that we need to be considering, that we need to bring back to mind, that we need to remind one another of. Paul concludes in 2 Corinthians this. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. See, this is the theme all the way through. All this, he says, is from God. This is the truth, the new reality of our lives. This is the truth. This is why we can sing that every knee will bow before Jesus Christ because we've experienced the reality of his power making something bow in our lives. And because he's brought a newness of life for us, we can be confident that he's going, that same power, that same truth, that same reality is going to work in the things and the situations that we come into. The question that I, and the the subtitle of my, my message tonight is, this is truth, the new reality of our lives, and all this should always be new to us. Even if we've walked in Christ for a long time, for decades, these things that I'm talking about should have a newness and a freshness about them. We have become recipients of this truth, and this is what we live by. And so the question becomes, what will you do with new? What do we do with new? Every day, it should be new. We talk about his mercies being new every morning. They are. But the reality of this grace that I'm describing, what we're talking about here, is something that ought to be new and fresh and that we return to. And it's no, no better time to do so than when we're feeling most distant from it, most removed from it. Second thing. First, <clears throat> is it's God who produces change in us. Second, change requires that we participate, that we work with the truth. We begin by working with the truth by not running from the truth. We begin working with the truth by seeking the truth. We begin working with the truth by being willing to hear the truth against ourselves. That's not good news, but that's part of the gospel. Philippians 2 verses 12 through 13 says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For Listen to this. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do. What's our role? To respond and to be available in fear and trembling. There's no no rolling up my sleeves and going to work and saying, boy, I've got it. No New Year's resolutions here. This isn't a matter of what I, boy, I'm going to really, I'm going to strain and gain and I'm going to grow me some fruit. 
Now, this is something that God is the one who initiates change in our life, but we have an opportunity and a responsibility to cooperate. Real change only begins to happen when we begin to take part in the process, when we begin to embrace it. Clearly, the outcome of deliverance, of change, of transformation into the image of Christ is brought about by God. But we are to take part through the humility of being yielded, of being obedient and faithful being full of faith. Change is worked by the truth applied into our lives by responding with trust and obedience born of a sincere commitment to follow Jesus Christ. We change when we realize, see, and this is the thing, sometimes change, as Kathy said, presents itself as being negative. But when your meters read negative, that may be just the time to stop and say, Holy Spirit, what are you doing here? What does the word of truth say about, about this? Or better, what is your truth saying to my heart about this situation? This is what we want to learn. This is what we want to develop. This is what we want to cultivate. Do we see the opportunities to be changed, to join in and cooperate with the spirit of truth? Do we see these things as opportunities or do we just see needs that we expect God to attend to? Do we see opportunities to be changed by difficulties, by challenges, by obstacles, by failures, by weakness, by all the kinds of things that come up in our life that we run into every day? Do we see these as agents of potential change in my life that if I can step into these or look at these and begin to view them through the eyes of truth, that something can be worked into me whereby I can actually come to know Jesus Christ better? I can be formed into the likeness of Christ more perfectly. James says, uh, this is one that's kind of been meaningful to me of late, count it all joy. This is another part of the gospel. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. When problems and challenges come, Yes, there are times when you have to understand that a problem or a challenge is born out of something that is adversely set against you and is opposing you. But most of the challenges and things that come up in our life are simply occasions that we can either look at and kind of grit our teeth and bear through, or we can welcome them as friends. But this is a change in our mindset. We can welcome them as friends that God wants to use this situation to change something in me. He wants to grow up something in us. He wants us to be different. We're not of the world. The world grits its teeth and gets through the same darn things you do. Most of the problems you face are absolutely no different than the people in the cubicle next door. The question is, are you getting something out of them they're not getting because you're not of the world? Are we learning how to follow Jesus Christ in the things that come up in our life? I'm working, I'm personally working to welcome tests and trials as opportunities for the kind of change Christ has called us into. See, that's what I was learning back on the sofa when we were not married too long, having to make some choices about whether I was going to get up and go up to bed and be with my wife or whether I was going to watch The Late Show. Everything in me wanted to watch The Late Show. (laughs) That sounds crass, but... Kathy would testify, 
Yep, that's true. He wanted to watch the late show. (laughs) But something needed to change. And as one who was sanctified in the truth, I had an opportunity. At the time, it was God just nibbling away with conviction. Come on, come on, come on. But what we want to do is be people who recognize these are opportunities for something to be transformed. Number three, we must partake of God's grace. God will produce the change. We need to cooperate. And in order to do so, we need to partake of God's grace. And I just want to say there's three very simple takeaways in how we can cooperate with the grace of God. First of all, give thanks. Thanksgiving causes us to identify afresh and refocus upon the truth of who God is and what he's done. You can't think of something that you're thankful for and not think specifically about the person who gave it, the item itself, what was done. You rehearse it in your mind. Gratitude begins to refocus our mind on things. We need to become people who are always giving thanks. Because everything in life are occasions for growth and change, regardless of how hard they are. Thankfulness turns our focus to the Lord. See, we can practice being thankful. Thanksgiving is an offering to God, a sacrifice that offers to Him a pleasing aroma. That's why Paul says over and over again, in everything, give thanks. He isn't saying that because we're supposed to be grateful for a hardship. He's saying that because there's something that does in our soul that allows us to to let God work in that hardship and to overcome in that hardship. And thanksgiving, folks, is a practical, daily, multiple times during the day activity that you and I... Here again, it's a mindset. It's a change we make in our mind. And the Word of God is there to remind us. Second thing is not only are we give thanks... Give place to the spirit of truth. I said earlier that he put a new spirit in us and he gave us his own Holy Spirit. One of the things we need to learn how to do is what I would say is we need to have counseling sessions with the Holy Spirit. That's nothing more complicated than letting our, opening our Bible and bringing before the Lord, the Spirit of God, the thing that's churning inside of us and asking Jesus, Lord, what do you make of this? And how do you want to use this to form me? Now, I I got it. The intensity button or the intensity light is on when we have certain things that challenge us. And we're looking for one thing and one thing only, and that is to get out of that situation. But the thing that's really hard is when that situation doesn't go anywhere. And the intensity light remains on, and then it starts blinking. And that's what I'm saying is we've got to be self-aware enough that we come back and understand, wait a minute, the spirit of truth has been given into my life. And I have a capacity to be intimate with him. I have opportunity to come back and say, Jesus, what do I make of this? What are you after? What are you saying? Let me hear in the word of God. Yes, words of comfort. That will be part of it. But also words maybe of correction, words of redirection, words of adjustment, words that build faith, words that, re- that instill deeper confidence.
And the third thing, <clears throat> most simple, maybe it's not most simple, give thanks, give place to the Spirit, and then give away the life you find. Learn how to be a giver. Practice it. Some of you I know talk about doing that in various things we're in, but that when we begin to find the life of Jesus Christ, it's very, it's just natural for it to overflow. Sometimes that's overflowing in a personal testimony. Sometimes that's overflowing in a God test. But a lot of the times it's just overflowing by showing interest in somebody. And because something's being formed in us, we have something to draw from and give to others. This is what being a disciple is. This is, these are the kinds of changes that God is making in our hearts that he wants to make in our lives. Pastor Donnell, I just want to um, encourage you, cultivate a hunger for more of Jesus Christ. Let Jesus Christ be, be, become the one that you, that you want to sit down and draw from. Some of these things can only be practiced by setting aside more than 10 minutes. Sometimes I'm, I'm finding in this, in this culture that we live in, some of the best time you can have is to turn off the radio or the, or the iPod or whatever in the car on the way to work and just sit in silence. And let, and, and let the Holy Spirit minister. Ask him to. Ask Jesus to make himself more known to your heart and your soul. Do you think he has an interest in that? He's got a vested interest in it because he saved you to that end. Amen?